0: Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 43, recorded on July 6th, 2022. Mark Majewski is from Innovex. It's a data foundation company. Now, that term, data foundation, will require a little explanation. But you'll see why this kind of work is so important to the smart city and beyond. But first, let's get Grant in here with his brand of tech news. Okay, here's uh, the part of the show that everybody seems to really, really like. It's our one and only feature. It's uh, Grant talking about tech things that for whatever reason, Tickle was fancy. So um,
1: go. Sure. Um, uh, nice to do the news today. Thanks, um, Alan. Um, so I'm going to give a, a different spin on just uh, so we can understand where things are going in our world, smart world, smart city. You know, that's the whole process of what we talk about. Uh, and any news, you know, kind of going to affect where, where I think we're going and, and things that will impact. Uh, us as they go, and so, um, we've all heard of the, this little company called Siemens, mm-hmm. who, as we also know, build um technology, put in all the controls and buildings and, and other things, yeah, like subways, but, yep, pretty subways and yeah. streetcars
0: yeah. and all and, kinds of different
1: things. And, and and so, they bought a company called Brightly. Uh, Brightly is a company that uh probably has 10 15,000 clients, schools buildings and, and, and what they are is they are smart, smart building, smart, smart media. And, um, and the reason they're bringing it up more than anything is essentially what we're seeing now is Siemens has decided to take a very big play in the smart infrastructure world. So they buy this large company, software company that includes everything. Uh, and why are they doing it? Only to boost their smart city technology efforts. So you've got Siemens now in buildings, schools, uh, hospitals, governments. Uh, so obviously, Siemens is going to be leveraging all this software with all their building hardware. And when they make a twelve or fifteen billion dollar investment, that's pretty serious.
0: How much do they pay for this company?
1: Um, I believe uh, a couple billion dollars.
0: Okay. So Siemens is going from this what well, well, they were basically a manufacturer of things. And now they're.
1: Well, they had software, Now you know, Siemens building system, but you're right. They are, they are. I mean, they're a hardware in a lot of areas, right? Like you said. Um, but I think what it does for them with brightly, it leapfrobs them above a lot of companies now.
0: How big do you think the smart cities um, um, market is? It's got to be in the trillions.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, I mean, you know what? They don't do it that way. And that's that's probably because they can't. They'll take sectors. Well, you know, these the smart city section for computer vision is a billion. The smart section for security is this. Smart section for uh, green, um, you know, green technologies is this. And I think they have to do that way. But I, I don't know if you can say is there higher words than trillions because it's the whole future. So from my standpoint, it's a pretty easy one to talk about, but it's, it's significant. It's significant. And, and, you know, we come across Siemens all the way and honestly, we didn't feel they're ready. Oh, now they're ready. <laughs> what else you got? Uh, okay. Uh, well, later on the next thing. And we had a great seminar, a seminar. We had a great talk with Metaverse last session mm-hmm. and, um, both intriguing and scary and all that neat stuff. But, and you know this, but I think it's important to talk about it. So your top cities in the world um, are now launching Twin Cities.
0: What, metaverse Twin Cities? You didn't? know? Absolutely. No, wait a second. So, so, okay, I live in this town, and instead of pairing with some town in Australia, let's say, uh, like a real flesh and blood bricks and mortar town, my city is creating a metaverse city of itself
1: or yes correct so you can either do the real thing or do the thing just like it and it's done for two things uh, it's a great data backup to your whole city okay all right <laughs> okay uh, but no yeah so you will be able to go in and do the same things as oh, you would in the real world yeah oh i uh, hey i almost go canoeing at center line okay sure but we're not going to drive down there well, so they're creating a metaverse of their whole city and all the major cities are doing it. And to me, that's huge. Now I did know about this before. So, you know, I did know about this. I didn't say much about it, but I knew about it and um, it's now happening. And so what's going to happen is um, all AI is causing this to do this.
0: Mm-hmm. That's- <laughs> it's like, I want to go to Canada's Wonderland. Yeah, you know what? I just can't be bothered. You know, the drive, the parking, everything else. Oh, that's okay. Just put on your Oculus headgear and all of a sudden you're there.
1: Well, okay. So let's talk about the 10 universities. So there's 10 universities already doing their uh, digital twins. These are universities we know uh, from South Dakota, Morehouse, New Mexico State, Kansas School of Nurse, Florida, Florida A&M, West Virginia. So they're all creating what they're calling their metaverse city it's called metaversity
0: metaversity okay
1: it's instead of a university metaversity now here's my point what are you taking I'm taking law guess when guess where I'm going to take law
0: I'm going to go to Harvard
1: Harvard metaversity <laughs> not Harvard University
0: you know what I want to be the, I want to be the first person to have the the sweatshirt that says no. Harvard metaversity hey,
1: I want to play on the Harvard metaversity basketball team <laughs> I know I'm laughing. Or but the rowing come, team. Come on. Yes. But you get it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy cow. Isn't that interesting? I, it, I don't know what to say anymore. I, mean, I know. And then, of course, I don't know if you've been watching the news about the last three days. Oh, are we going to be talking about the uh, Large uh, Hadron Collider in Europe? No, that's good, too. Sorry. Okay. It's Sorry. Big just, okay. We're talking about Sentient.
0: Oh, are we talking about the Google. AI at Google? Come on. Oh. Okay,
1: so... Okay, wait, wait, yeah. let me let okay. me just set it you up. Go ahead. Go ahead. Somebody
0: has created an artificial program, artificial intelligence program. An engineer maintains that this 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 program he created has become sentient and it has the um, human. It's the human equivalent of an eight year old. And now, if this is true, you have all kinds of ethical issues if, be- yeah. if it's true. Uh, and and there was a story about how the somebody or somebody or I or the the AI itself hired a lawyer to to prove its sentience. I,
1: oh, so they're going through God, now. This is just Skynet. You know, it's unbelievable. It is. I um, know. And so I okay. So let me tell you, they had people scientists from all over the world on TV. So I watched as much as I could on YouTube and that from China to United States. They're all congra. You know, it's nice when you get in the science world. There are no borders, okay? Um, the answer, scientifically, in the world of AI is no way. Okay. Okay. But the second answer is anything's possible, okay? This There's-
0: this brings me back to uh, a short sci-fi story, and I can't remember whether it was Isaac Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke. It was one of the two. And it was written in the 1940s, I think. And one day, according to the story, every telephone in the world rang at the same time. And people couldn't figure out why this happened. When they did some studying, they determined that the vast new telephone network stretching around the planet had become sentient and the act of all the phones ringing at the same time was the equivalent to a baby taking its first breath out of the womb. So it cried announcing its Okay, birth.
1: so I, I th- this is a great way to f- finish with this. Look, you know and I know, if they have now robots or people or whatever that can think and feel and do all that, it, it's really gone crazy. Okay, and I get it. And I say in my world, everything's possible. But... What you just said about the phone ringing and, and what year it was, it reminds me of watching the show last night on the pyramids. Okay. Where I'm convinced there's no way humans built those pyramids. <laughs> Sorry, I know. You're <laughs> no, 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 well, no. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this. No, but come continue. on. No, no. To think that we think we're the only ones, oh, we're making all these cool things. Yeah. like they, They're making these cool things because they're possible and they've probably been done a hundred times. But to us, they're not. We're very smart. We're not smart as the last culture that was maybe here or came to our planet, but we're very smart, and all these things we're doing—of course we can do them. That's what scares me. Okay.
0: Yeah, we can go down a deep rabbit hole about how how did humanity take this sudden leap from this hunter-gatherer, primitive agrarian society into something that could build the pyramids in in a very short period of time. Uh, I'm going to, Grant, I'm going to set you up with some books from Graham Hancock. I'm going to send you home. You're going to study them and we can have a discussion on it. Perfect. InnoVex describes itself as a data foundation company, which is another way of saying that they do data analytics, but in a way that takes sets of data and aligns it to a specific business strategy or multiple business strategies for that matter. Mark Majewski explains how InnoVex ingests data, sorts it, and then creates useful knowledge that can be implemented in a wide variety of ways. Mark came into Locomobi World Headquarters. All right, Mark, when I, when I hear a company name, I can almost always kind of figure out what the company does and what it's all about. But with InnoVex, I, I, I can't. So, so tell, tell me what that means. Well, InnoVex actually stands for Innovation and Excellence.
2: It was created in 2002. So it's not a young company. It's been around for a while. And we're, re- we're going to be changing the name very soon, but um, still, it's a data company. It's a data foundation company and basically taking data and aligning it to a business strategy. A data foundation company. I've never
0: heard that term before.
2: So it's data foundations, data architecture, because if you're going to build a house, you need a good foundation. If you're going to build a factory, you need a good foundation. So, so many people try to bring in data to make knowledge, a knowledge factory. But the fact is to have a knowledge factory, most companies have data warehouses. They have no idea how to bring it together. So, you create a foundation where you ingest all kinds of different data into one area. And in that one area, then you can use that data to leverage knowledge and value.
0: Okay. This is uh, something that we've talked about before is is like there is a fire hose, like petabytes and petabytes and petabytes of data being generated every minute. And that's useless unless you can filter it through something that turns it into knowledge.
2: Not just filtering it, but you have to make sure that the data is not biased. And we have a lot of enormous data centers that we use. So we have OHIP, We have all kinds, weather station, all of this data that comes in. But what you don't want to have is actually data lakes. You just need data creeks. You just need to take the data that you're going to be using, the few bits, and not ingest everything. The rest can be put somewhere out in a lake, in a warehouse. But your company, your hospital, your whatever that's using data only needs a few little bits of that data, not everything. Well, how do you determine
0: what those bits are?
2: Those bits are determined by, first of all, doing a survey of what data you have available to you. So, all the other datas that are coming in from your ERPs, weather, telematics, everything you have available. And then you kind of sit down with some research questions and you ask, what are your issues? What are you trying to solve? What are you trying to do? You create then a matrix of all the data that you have and how good it is. And then your business problems... And you can see which ones line up perfectly that you can answer within three or four months and which ones are missing something. Let's say, you know, you're trying to do something around traffic, but you're not taking in weather. You can't do anything if you don't have weather. So you can just note that and know you need to purchase or bring in weather to now
0: make it full. Grant, why is Mark here? What is he to you?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I was having coffee downtown. Uh And said we needed a guest. So I asked him to come up here. I don't really know him. No, <laughs> the, the the wise mark here, because. So there, there's got
0: to be a locomotive angle. There's got to be an interest oh, that you yeah. have in what Oh, there's, in there's what always, a, doing. you know me. And yeah, 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 anything I, I that's know.
1: tied to data is interesting. But, but, look, I'm going to tell you guys, data analytics is kind of like a buzzword, like IOT. Internet and, yeah, internet oh, yeah, things. I, I'm doing data analytics, but very few are. OK, so 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 when you get linked up to companies that say, oh, I can do this, this and this or I need all this, they really aren't doing it. Um, data analytics and data mining and t- the ability to take data and make it very useful, as far as I'm concerned, is, is is in its infancy stage. And when you have companies like Mark's that when talking to them are taking data and causing Real key, real time decisions based on the data they're providing to clients. And and what I mean by that is on a continual basis, when you're doing data mining, it's not about what you're collecting live. It's also where you can get all the other data. Like a lot of data is free. People don't know it. People don't know where to get it. And so when you bring in a company, if you are one of the many companies that's collecting all this data, You're probably not doing much with it. You're probably very proud. Um, I see tech companies every day. Their their presentations for me to invest in, Alan. And the top, they always say data. I go, what do you mean by that? We collect all this stuff. I know, but what do you do with it? Well, we have all this information. I know that. So, are you causing people to feel better? Buy more cars. What are you doing? Is it, are you ma- making a, the world greener? It's like the doggy head waggling in the back of the car, back and forth, not knowing what you're talking about. So, so that's what we're talking about here. What, what truly, and you know, maybe we can go into a field. That's a good example. But what he does, what his company does, and Mark especially is, is very, very, um, an expert at it, is really making data worth something. Oh, is this data
2: curation? So if I can give you an example around healthcare, because that kind of hits home and most people can understand that. And it's about smart city and smart health. So we do the data for CAMH, Canadian cystic fibrosis, osteoporosis, et cetera. But let's look at cystic fibrosis, a terrible disease. So we've been collecting the data for them for about 10 years. And we've built a good foundation. And what that means is now there's two PhD papers written that say, if you have cystic fibrosis in Canada, on average, you'll live five years longer than the states. And it has to do with the knowledge that the data is creating. So the data will send a doctor a note to say, your patient is presenting this way. In three to four months, they'll end up in a merge, 96% chance. And please do these things now to avoid them losing 10% of their lung function. It's proactive because if you have enough data, you can predict. If you can predict, you can prevent. And then to the patient, you can go, looked at the pollen count today, looked at the temperature, the humidity, how you're presenting. If you're planning on doing things outside, please don't do it on Thursday. Try to do it on Tuesday and try to do it on Saturday. So it's always taking this preventive view because if you have enough data and you've curated it correctly and you make sure it's not biased and what i mean by biased data is data has come in from other places let's say the states and we look at the data and we're not medical experts but we look at the data and we go it's all biased towards making money it's not biased towards making the patient better you put this data in you actually pollute everything
1: so it's a it's a proactive study for their side like no i mean when you say the Like, look, it's kind of like if the tobacco companies do their own studies, it's going to be geared to help the tobacco company. Obviously, that's not what you want. No, you can use that as well to say, here's biased data, because that helps biased data.
2: It it does point out what other people are doing wrong. It lets researchers then do peer-reviewed studies to go, here's one example, here's another example, and here's how we should go. So, one of the things that we do, and when we assemble all this data for healthcare, and we're in all kinds of different fields, but let's say in healthcare again, is we will, with privacy and ethics upfront, bring this data in so a researcher or 200 different researchers can work on the same data. So, someone can come to CFC now and say, uh, I want to do a study of 35 year old women who have this presenting this way, this body mass, this whatever. And we can pull that data out anonymously and they can study it and they can do research on it. If all the data is not in one place, how does a researcher do that? Knocking on a door of a doctor saying, do you have one or two patients? And by the way, do they fit this profile? It becomes impossible. So if you curate it and we do that with osteoporosis too, and we're in a study with uh, AI now and we're reaching good levels, which means 80% and above, of starting to predict refractures for osteoporosis
0: just based on other events around them. All right. So how do you collect this data if you're not knocking on doors? Or are you? So again, for
2: healthcare data, we bring it in and we actually create through good two factor authentication and security. The patient can look at all their medical records. So a CFC patient can go online and they can see all of their data and it is not numbers. It's graphed beautifully. So they can see their lung functions their lung capacity when they use certain medicines. That involves somebody. They start looking at it and they go, oh, when well, my body mass was this, I was better. And they can start being educated from it. We show this to other medical groups and hospitals and they tell us it's impossible. They say, how can you do that? That's impossible. You know. Like, You know, I go to a hospital and they ask me when they gave me a tetanus shot. Like they can't even do the simple things. Okay. So it's breaking down the barriers. It's fundamentally building the base correctly. So you can do research. Patients can be involved. It becomes patient-centric medicine, not administrative-centric medicine. So everything becomes the way it should be. And data helps that accelerate it. Again, but how do you collect it? So- for different um, conditions, different ways, because we do pain, we do other things. So, yes, you have some information that comes from the healthcare professional. You have the medical records. You have weather. You have the medicines that they're taking in. And it's all brought into one place. And,
1: and studies around it. And there's studies. Everything, yeah.
2: So this doesn't just have to be in the medical field. I can give you examples from, you know, other fields that we do telematics. So we do smart city for the city of Vancouver. So we're ingesting for them the data of their ERP system, their 311 calls when someone has a problem, geotab telematics, Google mapping, Esri mapping, you know, telus data of phones, all of this is is ingested. So we now, they tell us we save them $60 per waste management truck per day in savings because we route the trucks a certain way, depending on weather, depending on where idling is happening in the city, depending whether it's raining. All of this is a journey and it's been a 10-year journey. It hasn't been instant, but they actually are probably the smartest city that I know of in North America. You know, you go to Europe, it's Copenhagen, other places, but it's because you don't try to take an enormous step, you take small steps. And then when you start looking at it, you start realizing things like waste management, garbage collection, that truck goes down every single street, every single week, it's a data source. So if you put in a little tablet or something, so when the truck's not moving, the trucker can t- press, there's a pothole, there's a broken fence, there's an illegally parked car, there's, there's graffiti, and it becomes a database. So then you don't have to run around looking for potholes. The garbage trucks have told you where the potholes are. And of course,
1: are. as you add as you add edge devices, there'll be in very little entry and all automation and brilliant. And 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 I think that's how a whole city should be built. You know, it's funny when you talk about smart city because I think that people too many times think a smart city is I build all these buildings that have super smart fiber and they all can talk, they all can do that. But you know what? It's the little things you can do to can make a city smart, like what he just said. Um, and there's other things like that. Even potholes being computerized. Um, lights throughout the streets. Um, but the problem is not collecting the data. It's, are they really doing anything with it? Well, that, think, was,
0: that was my next question. Because- well, they
1: are. They are in Vancouver, you see. They're rerouting trucks and so, all that. So
0: but- Okay, you're rerouting trucks. You're, you're, you're mapping potholes. How does this... And and that is the analytics end of it. How do the analytics get to the people responsible for each of these things? Because, you know, a pothole is one thing. A a light out is another. So, So how do you distribute the curated data? So here's how it's not
2: just a standard platform. We actually sit down with the user, the person that's trying to get the information. It's like a car dashboard. To drive, you just need a speedometer and maybe the fuel. That's it. And then you can go down another layer and know other things and another layer and know other things. So we sit down with a certain person and we say, what is it that you need to do your business every day? What's on the single pane of glass that you can look at in the morning and understand everything you need to know? And we had a great example. We were doing a project for the Ontario government for PPE, designing PPE, making sure that it's built in Canada. What's the numbers? Because what happened with COVID? And we sat down with a nurse and we said, don't just think PPE. PPE. Tell us what you want on your single pane of glass so that you can do your job better. She said, can you put a little widget that tells me what the local influenza rates are at my hospitals around me? I said, of course. Why? Well, if I know what the local influenza rates are, then I can guess how many employees will come in sick. And and we just went, hold on. That's data. We have records from hospitals. You have employment records. We put it together and now we can predict. She can look and go, oh, Friday, six people will most likely come in ill. And as it gets better, the algorithm starts
0: building. Does does she guess or do your algorithms algorithms say probably six people? Well, she
2: came up with the idea, which we went brilliant, but couldn't. GTC used that. Couldn't other companies yeah, I remember, use that?
1: I, I think, you know, so
2: now you can start looking through history to go, what's the influenza rates at the hospital and how many people came in ill to work that day at your particular location? And you can build an algorithm that connects in, those in two. In today's
1: AI world, it's not AI that makes the final decision. It's AI that makes decisions based on the, the parameters that the user sets. Because AI at this point is not ready to make the final decision on things. Not because they couldn't, because we don't allow it. But so when you asked um, who's making those final decisions, AI is going to make the final recommendations. But no computer to this day is going to tell a person to open that bridge gate. It's not going to happen, okay? Um, it's coming, and we're going to talk about it. But um, when that does come, then we are like, automated. They are fully automated.
2: So you can say 90% confidence, six people will. Yes. Like you can start giving confidence level. And over time, you can start building it up and up and up. And the thing that most people don't do with data, and I'm an electrical engineer, so I think this way, I'm sorry, is feedback. They don't feedback the information. So they take in data, they make a decision, but then they don't feed that information. And why don't they?
1: Why don't they, Mark?
2: I don't know. Okay. I, I don't understand this because feedback is what makes... Everything worked, why this microphone works, this headphones, because you're listening, you're feeding back. Is it too loud? Is it too quiet? Because you always have to check the validity of the data because data can run away. Data can be corrupted. So you need feedback loops. And this is all that architecture. This is all that foundation to make sure that there are feedback loops and that things are not just self-checking themselves, but also a human is reviewing it once in a while to make sure, you know, does it seem correct? Are the trends See, right? What,
1: what I, like, okay, I'm looking at this I'm thinking every city should be doing this. Like, you don't even have to ask me why. No, I, I take it a step further. Why are not all the cities, hospitals, and infrastructure doing it? And I don't know what the answer is. Is it going to be the cost?
0: Because the efficiencies that must it's come to this I mean, <laughs> must be think in- incredible. incredible.
1: We have to have it, plain and simple.
2: The efficiencies are through the roof. But to make change in any company, it's always people, process, and tools. And what we're talking about is tools. How about capital investment? So not not that much. Okay.
1: So it's monthly service.
2: It's kind of changing the the way that people think and they think very short term. And they're, you know, the worst words are always, we've always done it this way. Right. That means you're going out of business, right? So you have to always consistently look at a different world. And I come from a semiconductor world, so I had to improve my efficiencies by 20% every year or I'm out of business. So when I see another business and they're talking about 1% or 2% and they can't even do that, I have a difficult time because it's so easy if you just start thinking. And then there's a great, great saying, and it came from the Olympic coach for the British cycling team. They hired him. And at that time, the British cycling team was, was useless. Not useless, but not very good in the world. And he just went to his entire staff and said, I need a 2% improvement. That's all I'm looking for. Make sure the chain is 2%
1: easier to move. To Lance Armstrong. Make
2: sure the tire is 2% less rolling resistance. Make sure the aerodynamics is 2% better. And in a matter of two years, it they was. became... One, two, and three every single year, but it was a two percent change. How? Because everybody, everybody was had a common goal, and they had a small goal—just two percent, just two 2%, percent just 2% of what you're doing. But add up all those two percents, and but you I mean, have that, massive first, changes.
0: See, I, I agree. I, I think that's that's fantastic. But what do you do with companies that are? You know, EBITDA driven and they have to hit monthly and quarterly nuts. And it's like, you know, we need to get we we can't think long term. I mean, a two percent gain is gonna get you something over the long run, but it's not gonna make you, you know, your stock pop at the the end of the quarter. So what do you tell those companies?
2: So I, I've worked for public companies too, and we have a lot of public companies as customers. And you kind of have to look and say, does your company have to be more efficient? And does it have to be more effective? If so, how are you going to do that? Are you going to do that just with people of which there's less and less employees every single year because well, there's a depopulation And all the
0: companies that think that they can cut their way to prosperity. Um, so you have to do it with other
2: tools. And do you want people that are putting things into an Excel spreadsheet that could make mistakes? That's a machine. That, that should be a machine doing that. People should do smart things and machines should do the repetitive tasks. So if you really want to make an effective team or have the same team be able to do twice as much sales, you have to give them the tools to do that. But that takes a willpower, a process, and then the tools. And you will not just do it short term. You will do it incredibly long term. So it is difficult because as you enter the field, and we, we had a, a large construction company involved with us. They're $13 they They're a big one. And they wanted to improve health on their job sites. So they took a risk on us and paid us to put all their data together, figure things out, and show them that everything that they thought was true wasn't. Injuries weren't caused by how long the construction is or how many people were on site. We put the data together and we showed them. But each injury we can prevent, and we lowered injuries a lot, you know, A, a, a sprained, a a sprained knee on a construction site is $200,000. It's $100,000 of paperwork and $100,000 to bring somebody the in guy. and retrade them.
1: The guy that's not working, you're paying. Now you're bringing
2: another uh, guy in to work. Okay, I see. So that's one sprained knee. So if you can prevent one sprained knee, that's $200,000. But it's hard to say that at the beginning when you get involved with the data that that's what the outcome will be. Or that when you quote something now, you can quote better because you know what the risk factors actually are. That's the hardest thing
1: guessing. to do. Hardest thing to do. Hmm.
0: I would imagine insurance companies are very interested in what you're doing. Um, they are. And there's a number of insurance
2: companies that kind of going live and using telematics and other things. But there's also a number of insurance companies that are in the old style of they never change. They have
0: actuaries. You got their tables. Here's your risk factors. This has been working since 1957. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, we'll see you later.
2: You're a 21 year old male. This is, you know,
0: nothing to do with actually how you drive. I can see, for example, car insurance.
1: I, okay, uh, I'm going way know. off. I'm going. So
2: Tesla has their own insurance now, which is far lower than anybody else's in the States. And General Motors, OnStar announced here in Toronto in the GTA that they. Will be creating OnStar Insurance, which will be telematic, automatic it insurance for all its customers.
1: If you can't crash a car, I'm serious, Alan. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to experience here. Okay. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: We, we've we've heard about your car crashes, but uh, what about what about privacy with something like that? So if, if we're doing OnStar or telematics, I I don't know how it works. Does it monitor my speed? And- Absolutely. Okay.
2: So and how hard you break. And how often you break hard. Right. And are you breaking hard while it's raining in a school zone? Right. All the risks can be actually taken in. Do so people not, so you, people that are good risk for an insurance company will want telematics. Absolutely. People that are bad risk want to f- go into the cloud well, and never be well, seen. But right? Mark,
1: um, I know that, and, and I, I think they I do with you, with our insurance company, you tell them if you want to be monitored or not.
0: I've never been asked.
1: Yeah. So if you say yes, your insurance is cheaper. But now they know through your phone and your car how fast you're going and everything.
0: So again, we come back to privacy. But I choose but, it. But, but that for less choose. Money. it is choosing. Okay, you're right, 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 right. So
1: when
2: you design something, there is a privacy officer in Canada and you design with security and privacy first, even before you bring any data in. And if you design with that first, not last, it's actually very good. So for the Ontario government, but let's talk for Oakville, the city of Oakville, we're doing a big project of origin destination. Where does somebody start their day and end their day and how do they get there? Do they take the GO train, the bus? Where do they South drive, etc.? Mm.
0: So yeah, It does, doesn't
2: it? All of that data can be assembled, but the key is you don't give it to anybody in real time. You take away the last kilometer of the trip so they don't know where they live. You, If there's less than 20 people, you don't give that information at all. So, there's certain privacy rules that you build in that nobody can reverse engineer and figure out who was that.
1: Yeah, and do the, the data is still going to give you the same functional answers yeah. because it has trends, right? So, yeah,
0: you don't need that what last thousand no, meters to get no. the meaningful stuff out of it. And you pull that right, like you don't
2: even store you, you know that. I, it's out.
1: You know, right? And I'm, I'm going to get off topic here, but we, I just think about it because of my partner and does stuff for the military. It costs $250,000 to make a soldier. And that's what it costs every time a soldier is killed. They write off 250, it's probably 500 now. That was like 10 years ago. Hence when they were looking at robots. But what if you had, uh, no, well, I'll go backwards. They must have all these programs that tell them all the things that are going to happen, the possibilities of each soldier. Um, if yeah, he goes were to deployed, war, where to deploy. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they have that because. This, you're a nice kid that had to do that. I'd sure want to know. This
0: inevitably, you touched on it earlier, leads to automation and robots. Does it? it?
2: It leads not necessarily to robots. It can, but it also leads to just efficiency and effectiveness. So let me give you an example. So, if you monitor and ping cell phones, don't care who they are, but just kind of t- count how many are in a park. So once there's 33,000 cell phones in Stanley Park, let's say, you collect garbage. You don't collect garbage because it's Monday. Could have been raining, right? So, so you have this efficiency that you can gain. You still have the people do it, but they just don't go when it's empty.
1: And they have other jobs. So you're taking people and making them do more things with less stress. You think of it. No, but I'll answer your question on that. There will be robots that will collect the garbage when the people who do it now don't want to do it. Right. See, I think that that the data is there to make their job easier if they truly understand. That. Well, it's um, not to it's not to watch them. It's like, I don't need that guy bending underneath that bridge that can get hit in the head every day. I'll tell them not to do that because the odds are like. Those are to make them happier, but there always will come a time, Alan, that the only people, the only, the only people who will choose that they will be robots will be humans. They will make that decision. When that human says, I don't like being in the restaurant business. I'm not going to work there anymore. And the restaurants go, well, I can go out of business or hire robots. So they're going to hire robots. And then the people who now want jobs say, robots just took my job. They didn't. I don't know a restaurant would wants a robot. But the point is, even in the situation of the deficiencies, when he gets all these efficiencies, there will be a time and they're going to say, but see, he'll have the data. Who wants to do what? And for those things that people don't don't want to do, that's where you put robots to start. The problem you don't want to have is that we're going to start an evolution. Okay, two more questions. So uh, can
2: I paint a picture around that a little bit? So... Um, in the city of Vancouver, for instance, with the, an arm picks up the garbage like a person loads it and then it picks up. So they can monitor how much weight an employee has picked up every day because there's only a certain amount that an employee can pick up and repetitively pick up without injuring Nor, yeah. themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's actually monitoring the worker to say, hey, it, you shouldn't do more than this because you're going to be in trouble. And we deal with the four unions there and there's strict rules and you bring in another worker, you, you change it up. So that person doesn't get ill and they have a long, healthy life instead of abusing them. So there's always two sides to the argument. The, the, the data, the machine can actually help the person.
0: All right. Um, without mentioning any company names necessarily, who is taking advantage of your services and your expertise?
2: So we have a number of companies that publicly say that you know, we're their customers. So publicly, for cities, we have Vancouver, Oakville, Ottawa, Waterloo, York, Sudbury. We can go on. Uh, we're doing energy management for Halton Region. For governments, we have the Ontario government. For large companies, we have Turner Construction, Um the nuclear sites in, in Ontario for hospitals, we have St. Joe's, St. Mike's, Cam H, all kinds of other customers. It's on our website, too. So they're publicly, um,
0: you know, they give so, us. So, accolades. He, so he has
1: a bit of experience.
0: Okay. And finally, we ask this question a lot is, is COVID. What effect did that have on your business?
1: Oh, and will it affect your future? Your yes, business? yes. So COVID
2: amplified our business tremendously. So, we're, we're kind of data people, so we can work from everywhere instantly. So, we were down for two minutes. But when we started to look at it, we actually approached the Ontario government and we said, there's a terrible thing happening at your long-term care homes. We can actually do smart logistics, tell you the supply, the demand, and figure out where and how things should be shipped and how to use local supply, not from the Philippines and Malaysia. So, we were... We, signed a deal with the government, but we also signed something to say, we will not make money. This is just because we need to do something. So COVID actually helped us. And from that, we got other business around it. But COVID is absolutely a, a great example of resources wasted. So you think of how many people had COVID and went into a hospital. Nobody followed the patient and the data Nobody said, I gave this patient this medicine or this treatment, and they got better in two days, or they didn't get better. None of that was stored so that after the first 100,000, if a teenage boy or girl comes in that weighs this much, that presents this way, there's data that says this medicine didn't work, and this medicine works. No, no,
1: but you are saying they didn't do this? Okay. that's And that makes- that's,
2: that's kind of this this quote from... David Dodge, who is the uh, governor of the Bank of Canada and uh, deputy minister of finance. And his quote is, you know, the experience during COVID was underlined and profoundly showed the inadequate health record system. I'm going to take a few words out of here to make it short. A major investment in health data and exploiting data through AI-based analysis is the single best initiative to deliver better care and reduce costs. Data. I mean, this is yeah. So, COVID showed a lot of lack of knowledge, so to speak. And you know, in the supply chain for CAMH, we look at their 300 clinics. We look at how people are presenting at that clinic, and we move the medicine according to how those patients are presenting. So you figure out which ones are going to drop off the medicine, which ones are going to switch different protocols. All of that, so it's not to have 100 things on the shelf. It's exactly to match what you need. And those type of efficiencies save tremendous amounts of money for the medical system. And probably a lot of lives. And lives that you
0: know how to treat them correctly. This has been fascinating because, again, with all the data that's being generated minute by minute around the planet, who's doing anything with it? And I I see that you guys are and that uh, here are some tangible benefits of doing it this way. I
2: I think that's true. I think if Canada is to be effective and, you know, grow and be smart, they have to build data factories, not data warehouses. Use the data to gain knowledge and be a better company. Appreciate you coming in, Mark.
0: Thank you so much. And that concludes this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks to Mark Majewski of Innovex for dropping into the office to explain his company's approach to data. For more information, go to Inovex, that's I-N-O-V-E-X dot C-A. If you have any questions or comments about Smart City's technology and developments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical productions by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.